And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honour the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, being but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behaviour, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised that you, do not, that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides, so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good to hear a few amens there. It's an instant reaction, isn't it? You hear the word amen, you think you've gone to sleep. Say amen. Um, well, it's a privilege to be preaching this passage this morning. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18 was the verse that turned my life upside down. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Uh, that's not the translation you've got in front of you. I'm an NIV Christian. Uh, that's the one that I memorized. It turned my life upside down. Jesus went from being uh, a myth 
to a, a historical figure. He went from being a stranger to being my savior. And I can honestly say after 18 or so years, it's been incredible. And I'm massively thankful for this uh, one verse in this passage. I'm not quite so thankful for the passage that I've been given this morning, though. It's a bit of a minx, isn't it? There is a lot of uh, obscure stuff. I don't know what spirits in prison is going on about. Feel free to go crazy on your next step cards. Um, But we are going to look at it. We're not going to dodge it. We're going to look at it. It's in the Bible to edify us, to encourage us, and to keep us going for Jesus. So uh, we will look at it, and I'll give you my best shot. Uh, Why don't don't we uh, pray for each other? I'll pray for you. You pray for me, and we'll get stuck into this uh, amazing passage. Our Father, we do pray that you would illuminate your word. uh, We pray that your spirit would illuminate your word to us. We pray that you would... Help us to live for Jesus, to love like Jesus, and we pray that you would make us instruments of your glory. Amen. Well, despite all its weirdness and obscurity, I think the teaching point's quite clear in this passage that we've got today. It's all about suffering as a Christian. We get it there in um, verse 14 of chapter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. We get five mentions of suffering in our text this morning. It's there in verse 14, verse 17, verse 18, and we get two in chapter 4, verse 1. And with all the tricky bits, that really is the main point. So I've really got one big thing that I want to say to you, and that is that we should face suffering for Jesus with Jesus as we head for glory. Now, that's easy to say, but no one wants to face suffering, do they? Uh, we No one wants to say, face any kind of suffering, let alone suffering that we can avoid. And Christians, I think it's fair to say, face a unique kind of suffering. We face a unique kind of suffering because we've been given a unique kind of hope. We've heard that all the way from the beginning of 1 Peter, That in Christ we've been given a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. And God is keeping us for that inheritance. And keeping that inheritance for us. And as he keeps us, he glorifies his name. We've heard a lot of stuff around how God will keep us through the letter of 1 Peter. What he'll do as he keeps us, how we're to live as different people in the world. And that's really the call that we are given. We're given a different hope. And we're called to live a different kind of life. To live for Jesus. And to speak of Jesus. We're called not to have a a private faith. Many of us say, oh, my faith is private. We're called not to have a private faith. We're called to have a public faith. And what Peter is saying here this morning is that when we have a public faith, when we speak of Jesus, when we're loud and proud about Jesus, when we live for Jesus and love like Jesus, that will bring suffering. Now, I doubt anyone here has been beaten up for being a Christian this week. Anyone here been beaten up this week? That's good. I was thinking there might be a missionary from overseas in. Yeah. Uh, No one's been beaten up for for being a Christian uh, this week. But we will face the kind of one Peter Uh, the persecution and the suffering that the original readers of 1 Peter faced. Uh, They didn't face 
the systematic persecution, state-sanctioned persecution uh, that many Christians around the world face today. That was later in Nero's reign. Uh, But what they did face, uh, we're told in 1 Peter that they faced slander and malicious talk and false accusations for being Christians. Now, when, when we start to see that, it starts to get a bit closer to home, isn't it? Uh, I've got a mate in London who is an account manager, and he gets called judgmental and boring because he won't take the clients to the strip joints that all the other account managers will take the clients to. Um, I was at a party uh, last night, and uh, constantly through that party, everyone was lovely, but constantly there were these little jibes about being a Christian and being a pastor. Now, they didn't mean uh, to, to, to be malicious with that, but it was hurtful nonetheless. And you, if you've got kids here this morning, you might have seen your kids maligned and slandered, perhaps in the school playground, perhaps as they get left off uh, the, the birthday party invite because they don't want you coming to the, the birthday party and speaking about all your Jesus stuff to them. Perhaps you've seen that from grandparents who don't know Jesus. It's pretty hurtful, isn't it? Pretty hurtful. And I think it doesn't go, uh, I think uh, this suffering that Peter's talking about, suffering for righteousness, goes further than the just, the, the direct persecution for malicious talk and slander. Uh, because when we uh, say yes to Jesus, we say no to a bunch of stuff, don't we? We say no to a bunch of stuff, and that brings with it suffering. It brings with it hardship and turmoil as we say yes to Jesus, and we say no to certain lifestyle things. We say no to certain relationships. Perhaps we say no to a certain career decision because we've said yes to Jesus. And those decisions don't come cost-free. They come at a cost. They come at an emotional cost. They come, at a, come with great hardship and hurt and turmoil. And the danger in those situations is that we will stop saying no to the things that Jesus wants us to say no to. We'll start saying yes to everything else that the world says to us. We've become invisible Christians. We'll keep our mouths shut, we'll keep our heads down, and we'll just join in with everything else that the world does. We'll put on our camouflage. Oh, we'll call ourselves a Christian. We'll still go to church on a Sunday. I'm still happy to be in that club. But for the rest of the week, we'll become invisible. That was the danger for the Christians that Peter was writing to. And it's a a real danger for us. A real danger for us. Now, we might think that doesn't matter. But God says it does matter. Because the lives we live for Jesus, speaking about Jesus, are instruments of his glory. Instruments of his glory, opportunities to speak of Jesus, to allow God to grow his kingdom. And Peter writes this letter so we would not keep quiet, so we would not keep our heads down when suffering strikes, but we would have Jesus turn our lives upside down when we first believed in him, and we would keep having our lives turned upside down by Jesus on a daily basis. If things come onto our path uh, uh, that we have to say uh, no to because we've said yes to Jesus. Now the amazing thing in these verses is that uh, Jesus actually turns our suffering on its head. 
God God not only keeps us through suffering, that's the promise of chapter 1, but we learn in these verses that God uses us in our suffering for being a Christian to be instruments of his gospel and to be, uh, to be instruments of his glory and uh, mouthpieces of his gospel. And that is amazing. It's also a hard thing to do. And Peter has got some, uh, Peter has got some uh, real solid advice about how we can live like that. It's quite daunting when we talk about suffering, but he has got uh, some real solid advice about how we might face suffering with Jesus. So I've got four points, and we'll try and go through all of the text, and we'll try not to dwell on the detail. Do come back to me if you've got questions, if I don't do any of those tricky verses justice that you'd like me to. Come and see me afterwards, or write on your next step card. Well, he's got four pieces of advice for us on how we should face suffering as a Christian. So we're to face, firstly, we're to face suffering with Jesus as Lord of our hearts. That's verses 17, 13 to 17. It's incredible verses, really, because uh, Peter not only talks about surviving suffering, but being blessed through suffering. Do you see that? Uh, but uh, but if, even if you should suffer for righteousness, suffer for being a Christian, you are blessed. That's a bizarre thing, isn't it? Whoever talks about suffering as being a blessing. Having said that, open encouragement this morning, we see the blessing that suffering brings, that through the hard times, we're able to see the goodness and faithfulness of God. I think that's what Peter is getting at. But the secret not to give up is there in verse uh, 15. Peter says, but honor the Messiah as Lord of your hearts. Uh, the, The word heart in the first century was understood to be the control center of your very being. Uh, not just the emotional center, the, 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 the control center. And Peter says here, if we want to live lives used by God as instruments of his glory, then we need to actively and decisively put Jesus in charge. Very interesting that in uh, verse 14, he pitches uh, Jesus being Lord against fear. Do you see that in verse 14? Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. It's interesting. We're not not to fear. uh, The the, the thing that opposes Jesus being Lord is fearing what Sydney fears. I wonder whether we feared what Sydney fears this week. See, our fears often reveal our idols, don't they? They, uh, they fear what's important to us. They fear what's number one in our hearts. We've had a big week of fear, haven't we? The world has been infiltrated by the fear invoked by these terrorists in Paris. I wonder whether what you've feared this week, what has taken the number one spot in your heart? It might be terrorism. I've been a bit twitchy as I've heard sirens around North Sydney. It might be the fear of terrorism. It might be the fear of lack of financial security. It might be the fear of not having the relationship that you always wanted. Paul says we need to, uh, Paul says, Peter says, uh, we need to replace those fears with Jesus as Lord. We need to give him our hopes 
and our dreams. Give him our desires, our, our heart's desires, our relationships, our wants, our needs. And allow the hope that he's given to us in Jesus, the hope of the new creation that's being kept for us as we are being kept for it, allow that hope to drench everything, to drench our lives so that Jesus is number one. And we do not fear what the rest of Sydney fears. Did you notice what flows out of having Jesus as Lord of your heart? Did you, did you see that verse 15? Uh, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This verse is always used in evangelism books, isn't it? If you've been to a, a night on evangelism, it's always uh, used to say, be ready and have a, be ready to give an answer. Be able, be able to recount two ways to live and that kind of thing, which is right. And you may want to have a 30-second story of how you became a Christian or why you believe in what you do. But uh, the passage goes further than that. The context is this suffering for being a Christian. And Peter is saying, as, as you get slandered by the world, as they speak, people speak maliciously of you for being a Christian, Peter says, keep your nose up, keep your head up, and give them, give, give them an answer for why you hope in what you do. See, the way we respond to malicious talk and persecution and allegations, uh, that's going to speak volumes. See verse 16, how we're to do that with uh, Jesus as Lord of our hearts? We do that with gentleness, respect, and a clear conscience. And we can expect slander to come our way when, uh, when we are visibly Jesus. Jesus, visibly belong uh, to Jesus. And, um, but we are to keep our heads up. We're to focus on the hope and give an answer for that hope. This happened to me in my first job. Uh, we went through, I think, four rounds of redundancies in 18 months in my first job at a university. And so the pressure was on to, to work late and to work hard. And my boss used to give me a hard time for being a Christian. Uh, he used to give me a hard time, uh, especially on the nights when I said, no, I've got to go to Bible study or I've got to go and do this. Uh, I've got to go and do this uh, thing for church. And he said, well, he used to give me a hard time anyway. And he would give me a hard time on these nights. And he used to say, uh, you know, your Christianity might cost you your job, you know. He was trying to put the pressure on so that I would work harder and work later. And I was able, I don't think, I was a particularly a hero in this, but I was able to say to him, well, if I lose my job in the next round of redundancies, God is sovereign and I've got Jesus and he will sort me out. Things will be okay. And he hated it. He absolutely hated it because he was putting the squeeze on everyone else in the team. And I think that's the kind of place uh, Peter is talking about where we're to give a hope, uh, an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. So do... Uh, Think about, be prepared. That's what uh, the verse says, the Boy Scout verse. Be prepared uh, for the, uh, for, to give an answer for the hope that you have. Work out how you, um, work out how you might uh, articulate your hope in Jesus. Uh, it happened to me uh, last night. Someone said, what is the Christian hope in the light of Paris? How, might, how would you answer that? 
Someone's going to ask you sooner or later, what do the Christians say about that? What, is, what hope does the gospel give us in the light of Paris? Someone asked me, I completely fluffed it, but I was prepared. All right, so don't be discouraged if you fluff, fluff it. The, the passage doesn't say give an articulate, brilliant answer so that they drop to their knees and become Christians there and then. Be prepared uh, with an answer. Well, we are to honor the Messiah as Lord in our hearts if we're to endure suffering and live lives as instruments of glory. Well, secondly, um, and we come to the difficult bit, uh, we're to face suffering with Jesus as our path. That's uh, verses uh, 18 to 22 of chapter 3. And it's an obscure passage, isn't it? All of this uh, proclaiming to spirits, in prison. It's very obscure. There's basically, I'm not going to get into this, but there's basically five views on this passage. Five views from the scholars. Two are more mainstream than the others. I've um, posted an article on our Facebook group, which will go live tonight at 7.30. So if your mind is still racing after today, feel free to read that article. Um, I think, however, all of this uh, weird stuff that we get here is... Uh, all this weird stuff that we get here is really just describing Jesus' journey. Do you see the, the stages of Je- Jesus' journey? We get his death and resurrection in verse 18. And then in verse 22, we get his ascension. And I think uh, really all the weird stuff aside, what Peter is doing is describing, is describing the Christian path. The path is w- that we follow when we follow Jesus. Let's just have a look at some weird stuff. Verse uh, verse 19, in that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the saints in prison. I think what Peter is doing here is alluding to Isaiah 61. All the way through 1 Peter, Peter has been uh, drawing upon Isaiah. And Isaiah 61 talks about freedom being proclaimed to the captives. So I think uh, prisoners are no more than people under sin. And Jesus, uh, Jesus proclaiming to them is no more than preaching freedom from that sin, being preached by the prophets in the Old Testament and by the apostles and by Christ himself in the New Testament. I think that's what this passage is getting at. But have a look at that article later. We're not going to touch it anymore. What it is describing is the path that Jesus has put us on. Because the path that Jesus has put us on is not a path of jollies. It's not a path of laughter every day and uh, beds of roses and that kind of thing. The path that Jesus has put us on is his path. And it's a path of suffering. Do you see that? Suffering now, glory later. 1 Peter uh, 3.18 For Christ also suffered for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Then verse 22, now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers subject to him. He, mentioned, uh, he, he says this so that we would know the path that we're on. And I think uh, a helpful, I was thinking about how can, we, how can we remember the path that we're on. And what I want you to do to remember the path that we're on as Christians is to remember the Nike swoosh. Okay, so every time you get a hard, every time 
you get persecuted by uh, someone in your office or you get called a name or you're feeling like a loser because you're a Christian. Think of the Nike swoosh. You know how the Nike swoosh goes? It goes down and it goes up. The path that Jesus paints for us is one where we go down into suffering for being known as Christ. But it goes up again to a place of glory where we will be resurrected into the new creation where there is no more pain or crying or suffering, where we will sit with Jesus ahead of everything, verse 22. But until that day, we will go through suffering. That's what Peter says. We will go suffering until we reach glory. And that's important to remember, isn't it? It's important to set our expectations right because we can wake up in a mess and think, what's going wrong with my life? Is God playing some cruel joke on me? It's important to get our expectations right. We've got people in our city peddling the prosperity gospel that says, believe in Jesus and you will have health, wealth and happiness. I hate that thing. I hate that thing because it's not the gospel. It's not the authentic Christian life. Peter expects us to go through suffering of some kind whether it be state-endorsed persecution, whether it be name-calling in the office. And Peter wants to encourage us to say this is the authentic path. This is the path that Jesus walked. And this is the path that Jesus has put his disciples on. We're to face suffering with Jesus as our path. Well, thirdly, we're to face suffering as a Christian with Jesus as our armor. That's verses, chapter 4, verse uh, 1 to 6. I'll read verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve. That word for equip, you'll see if you look at the double A down in the footnote, uh, also means arm. So we are to arm ourselves with the same resolve, the same determination. Of Christ, And what does that look like in this passage? Well, it's to, it's to be done with sin. Because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. He's not saying you're free from sin. But you're done with sin. You're done with that old way of living. Jesus has died to rescue you from the consequences of sin. And you are done with that sin. And that means to, to fight sin. Have a look with me at verse 3. He says, For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carry on, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless, idolat lawless idolatry. That describes Sydney, doesn't it? And I know that God will be putting one of those things on your heart as you heard that verse read. I wonder what those things are. It's tricky, isn't it, to say no to those things when the crowd is doing them. But we need to say no. We need to say no to Sydney's drinking habits, no to Sydney's attitude to sex, no to Sydney's spending habits and its view of money and pleasure. See, those things will bring suffering in themselves if we stay in them. But when we don't join in with them, that will bring a whole uh, different type of suffering in itself. Did you see that as we read it out? Um, 
Verse 4, so as we say no to those things, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. So not joining in with the crowd will bring suffering. And the temptation is to just join in, put the camouflage on, do what everyone else does, and keep our heads down, because that is an easy ride. There are consequences for that. I was, uh, just to to help you uh, see how real this is, I was on a company ski trip um, in my previous job. We don't have company ski trips. It's okay. (laughs) That wasn't a line item in the budget. Um, I was on a company ski trip uh, with my uh, advertising agency, and um, everyone was having a couple of beers, and it got to the point where the shots came out, and they made, well, they bought shots for everyone in the company to down some, I don't know what it was, Sambuca or something or other, to, to down these shots on the bar, standing up whilst everyone chanted at you. And I was the only, it got to my turn. <laughs> I was like, oh, what am I going to do here? And um, I was the only one that said, no, I, I'll, I'll just have a beer if that's all right. And I didn't do it. And it got to the point where the entire bar was chanting my name to down this shot. And I felt about that big. That's the kind of suffering that Peter's talking about. When you don't join in the ways uh, that Sydney does stuff, uh, you will feel that big. Because if they don't slander you to your face, they'll slander you behind your back. And Peter says that is uh, how God will glorify himself as he keeps us through that kind of suffering. Of course, it's easy to uh, keep our heads down, isn't it, to, uh, to avoid the persecution by joining in. But Peter says, arm yourself with the same resolve as Christ Jesus, knowing that he went through a heck of a lot more to win you, to die for sins once for all, to bring you to God. That's the resolve we're to have, to know that he has died so that we can be done with sin so that we can die to sin. Verse 5 is pretty sobering, isn't it? They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. That's the fate of our friends. They will face his judgment if they don't know Jesus. And if we give up on Jesus, we will face his judgment and the full force of his wrath. No, hardly any more. Sobering verses in the Bible. Peter wants us to stand with Jesus on the judgment day. To stand with Jesus, dead to sin, as instruments of his glory. Sharing the the reason for the hope that we have, only found in Jesus. Well, lastly and briefly, we are to face suffering with Jesus as our refuge. You notice Jesus is the answer to all these things. We're to face suffering with Jesus as our refuge. That's verses 7 to 11. And it feels a bit random, doesn't it? Suddenly we've gone from suffering to a bit about church rosters and hospitality and that kind of thing. And it feels like, oh, the preacher's going to stand up here and just tell us to get uh, pull our fingers out and get stuck into church. But the context uh, really helps us. Verse 7, the, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. The context is, how are we going to get to the end? 
Jesus is coming back any day, verse 7 says. He, he might interrupt this talk. He'll certainly interrupt someone else's talk. He is coming back any day. And how are we going to survive this slander, persecution, malicious talk, and feeling this big in a hostile world? Peter says a big help is the refuge that Jesus has given to us in his church. This is how we are to live. Verse 8, above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to each other without complaining. Serve each other with the gifts that God has given you. Verse 10. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. Uh, The image here is not so much of church being church, but of a a refugee camp. Peter has called his recipients refugees. He says you will suffer for a little while until you get to the new creation. And what he's given us in the people around us, in this this, uh, thing that we call church by the bridge, is a refugee camp to keep each other going, to be praying for each other, loving each other, being hospitable to each other, serving each other, speaking God's promises to each other. This isn't for the pastors to get uh, people to sign up to the rosters, this verse. It's so that we would survive as Christians, as God's refugees, as instruments of his glory. And when we uh, see this place and see each other as fellow refugees in this place as a refugee camp, that transforms the way we do church, doesn't it? Sunday morning church isn't about going and getting your religious entertainment for the week. It's about survival. It's about asking your brothers and sisters how they're going, speaking God's promises into their lives, uh, reminding each other, of the hope that we have in Jesus. Did you know that God is going to keep you through that hard time? Of reminding each other to speak of the hope that we have in Jesus to the people that we don't know. When we have that view, uh, that refugee camp view of hospitality, we, uh, it will transform the way we do hospitality. It's hospitality is less about uh, Jamie Oliver and Donna Hay and more about giving people what they need, giving each other what they need when they need it, binding each other up, putting each other back on the path of Jesus. That's what hospitality is all about. Not entertainment, not showing off with what you can cook, but being refugees together. That's the picture that Peter is painting here. Church shouldn't be like fashions in the field. Showing off to each other, showing uh, how good we've been this week, and showing uh, each other how holy we are. But it should be about binding each other up in the suffering that we face week in, week out, and showing each other Jesus, pointing each other to the hope that we have in Jesus. That's how we'll be instruments of the gospel. That's a compelling community, isn't it? We'll be instruments of the gospel and a compelling community. Uh, I, I don't think there's much compelling, uh, there's not much, not, not much compelling about a religious club, is there? A Jesus hobby club. Who wants a piece of that? 
No one wants a sailing club with Jesus instead of the boats. But surely, I think the world wants to be part of a community that looks out for each other, that treats each other better than we treat ourselves. That's what Jesus says will keep us. That's what Peter says will glorify God. And that's the road and the mission he's put us on. Let's pray. Our Father, you have put us on a tough road, one of suffering. But Father, we pray, Lord, that as we face suffering, when we face suffering, if we face suffering, uh, we would do it with you as Lord of our hearts. We would do it with Jesus on our lips. And that we would know we are following your path through suffering to glory. Pray, Lord, that we would be a refugee camp, that we would remind each other of the great hope that we have in Jesus, of the great promises that you've made us. Lord, would we be instruments of your glory and would we relish that privilege and take up the challenge. In Jesus' name, amen.